This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. Our first guest has been chairman of the Federal Communications Commission, but his career in the telecommunications industry has lasted more than three decades. In the past, Tom Wheeler has been the president and CEO of the National Cable Television Association, as well as president and CEO of the Cellular Telecommunications and Internet Association. He's also an author, having written a pair of books, but it's Mr. Wheeler's work as chair as the FCC in this very busy time for the industry that brings him to the Penn campus to speak. Warden Professor Kevin Warbach. We'll be moderating a chat with Mr. Wheeler, and we have both gentlemen in the studio with us today. Kevin, as always, great. Great to have you. Thanks, Dan. Mr. Wheeler, thank you very much for coming down. Dan, it's great to be here. Thank you. In your time right now, it, it you have so many things on your plate right now. Is there one or two that, that are the, the, the peak things, the one and one A, that you are most concerned about right now? Well, you know, Dan, I think you've got to stop and, and think about how the world of communications is changing and how the internet is changing everything. And, and you know, the internet uh, is, the, is the most powerful and per- pervasive platform in the history of, of the planet. And, um, and how we deal with the changes that that's bringing about. Um, how we make sure that there is competition uh, in this new platform, how we make sure that people can use it to innovate, how we make sure that everybody has access to it. Um, I mean, these are kind of threshold issues for the technology that is going to define the rest of the 21st century. So let's talk, Tom, about some of the proceedings and issues that you're working on that address that whole transition to the, the sort of next generation of the Internet. So... In the next couple months, you're going to launch uh, a, an incentive auction for wireless communications uh, that's going to take spectrum that's currently for broadcast TV and potentially make it available for broadband internet. Um, is this going to work? Well, it's 57 days from today that it starts, <laughs> Kevin. But who's counting? And, <laughs> you know, do, you, do you know how many hours that yeah, is? Exactly right. And and I I got to tell you that before I came up here today, um, I was uh, was with the team, the incentive auction team, making sure that uh, we got the the uh, eyes dotted and T's crossed because nothing like this has ever been done before anywhere in the world. What we're what we're doing is we are going to run a reverse auction where we're saying to broadcasters, we will buy your airwaves back from you. Then we will repackage those airwaves that we bought and turn them around and have a forward auction that sells it to uh, the wireless companies, uh, new entrepreneurs. Uh, I think there'll be some new entrants who will be coming in and saying that they want to use this for wireless, high-speed, broadband uh, uh, internet access. Um, and then we'll have to go back, and those broadcasters that didn't participate will have to reorganize them inside of their uh, their geographic areas, repackage them, uh, it's called, and make sure that they can continue to provide uh, ongoing service. Uh, 
it is a huge undertaking. I call it like it's a Rubik's Cube. I mean, you've got so many moving yeah. parts that all relate to each other. Yeah, so why go to all that trouble? Because they're not making Spectrum anymore. I don't know whether you've noticed this, Kevin, <laughs> but um, they're not making it anymore. And we, the way in which the, we have historically allocated the airwaves um, is a remnant from the days in which everything was analog. Um, and, um, and so we have spectrum assigned um, in, in blocks that can be put to use more efficiently than they're being put to use now because digital is per se more efficient than analog is. And so what we're saying to the marketplace is, okay, um, uh, let's figure out what the highest and best use of the spectrum is, and let's let the market decide that. Not some pointy-headed bureaucrat in Washington, but let's let the market decide what that's going to be. And I think that the result will be that we will open up vast swaths of uh, the scarce commodity called uh, spectrum in a really... Um, uh, uh, auspicious place on the spectrum band, uh, if you will, that gives it great propagation characteristics. And we'll open that up, and that'll increase services and increase competition for consumers. So what's the biggest gating factor to all those pieces falling into place and the auction working? Well, I mean, first of all, broadcasters have to say, I'm, I want to sell some of my spectrum. Um, and uh, wireless carriers and others have to step up and be willing to pay for it. And one has to be big enough to cover the other. I mean, we're not in this to make a killing. This is the, you know, how much money you raise is less important than, than how the spectrum gets put to its highest and best use. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to watch these transition happen because here we are, we're talking on the radio, although uh, on the radio distributed over satellite. Um, but, uh, you know, there's some aspects of these media that remain constant even as things transition. So, I mean, as you look at the marketplace, you know, how do you think about the role of an agency like the FCC uh, in dealing with these kinds of evolutions in this industry? Well, the job of the FCC is to make sure that competition exists um, and, that, um, and that the kinds of things that only government can do, like reallocating spectrum, gets done. You know, our agency has evolved uh, over time. Um, it used to be uh, back when you had um, three broadcast stations in a market, one telephone company in a market, um, that the job of the government was to micromanage how those companies worked because you had to stand in the shoes of the consumers, if you will, to make sure that the market was, was operating efficiently. That's much less our activity today. What we're in the business of doing today is making sure that the uh, uh, capacity, such as necessary spectrum, uh, exists, and then making sure that there is efficient competition. Because, you know, the, 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 the tendency in any business operation is to say, well, I just as soon not have competition. But it's competition that is best for consumers. It is competition that is best for innovation. It's competition that is best um, uh, for investment. Um, and so we keep pushing on the, I mean, our, our motto is, is it's become a, a tagline is competition, competition, competition. That's what it's all about. 
So what does that mean, though, for a, you know, a government agency to create competition? People may listen and say, well, no, I, I think you can manage a, a market that's there. But how do you actually well, open up some, competition? Let me give you yeah. some quick yeah. examples. So, so um, uh, when I first came in, um, uh, you'll probably recall that uh, the T-Mobile and Sprint were talking about merging. And we said to them, no, we don't think it's a good idea to go from four national carriers to three national carriers. That hurts competition. Um, shortly thereafter, Comcast, a local company, decided they wanted, wanted to acquire uh, Time Warner Cable. Um, and we disapproved that, saying that we thought there ought to be more competition. Um, the, um, the next merger that came along was AT&T wanting to acquire direct television. And we said to them... If you will accept a program that is designed to expand broadband competition by increasing by 40% the number of homes in America that have fiber to the home, that have uh, uh, high-speed broadband connectivity, then we can see how that's a pro-competitive move um, and and we'll do it. We we overturned uh, some of the uh, decisions that have been made by state legislatures at the behest of, uh, of telephone companies and cable companies to keep the people from being able to organize in their own municipalities to bring broadband so there could only be a monopoly of, of the telephone company or the cable company. Uh, I mean, we're just on a, a path of making sure that we're doing things that establish a groundwork that enables competition to take place. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by the Wharton School here in the studios in Philadelphia with Wharton Professor Kevin Werbach. I'm Dion Loney, and we're speaking with FCC Chairman Tom Wheeler. That that connectivity that we all, in some respects, take for granted right now, how much do you see that even growing even farther in the next few years because of the auction and and the potential of 5G and everything that is still out there to to really be developed? That's a great question, Dan, because, I I mean, you know, it's like the carnival barker that says, you ain't seen nothing yet. (laughs) Um, uh, You know, uh, the the, the fact of the matter is that we're soon going to see a world in which there are tens of billions of interconnected Devices mm-hmm. called the Internet of Things, yep, yep. and everything from your trash can to your automobile to your pill jar will have a microchip on it that communicates wirelessly and uh, collects information, and then helps whatever that device is work better. Um, and that's going to be truly transformational. Um, and, um, and, you know, and then we go on and, and, and we get into the world of virtual reality. We get in the world of, of, uh, of augmented, if not artificial, uh, intelligence. There has to be connectivity for all of this. Mm-hmm. I mean, things don't happen on isolated pedestals. Yeah. Okay. They have to connect with each other. And, um, and, and so our job is to make sure that connectivity is so important. That's why the spectrum auction we were talking about a minute ago is so darn important because we have to get that spectrum out there so it can be used for these purposes. For the, for the layperson, though, that, that may not understand the, 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 back, the back door workings of what this auction is going to be like, what's the best way for them to understand it better? Um, that they need to think in terms of, as I said, there's, there's two auctions that will happen almost simultaneously. One 
is a reverse auction where we buy it from the broadcasters. The broadcasters have now stepped up um, and, and raised their hand and said, okay, I'm interested in participating. And we have said, here's the price that we think your airwaves are worth. And, um, and then we will start lowering the price. And the broadcaster can drop out anywhere he or she wants along the way until we get down to a basic level that is needed. And then we turn around, we reband it all and have a traditional auction on the other side, which is an increasing price yep. auction. And we have to make sure that those two balance out. We have to make sure that there's enough spectrum um, uh, for a national footprints for various services. We have to make sure that um, the existing broadcasters here in Philadelphia who don't want to get involved in the auction still have spectrum and still have essentially the same footprint they have now. I mean, it is massively yeah. complex. So let's, uh, let's talk about another topic, which is something that's probably the most high-profile thing that uh, you've done at the FCC, uh, which is network neutrality, yes, open internet proceedings. So first of all, uh, how do you think that fits in with the kind of vision that you've sketched, both about the technology and the potential of the internet and so forth? Well, if networks are not open, they are per se not competitive. And if networks are not open, then um, someone is deciding what consumers are going to get and what innovators are going to be doing. And what we believe in is what we call permissionless innovation. Uh, you know, I, I've been an entrepreneur um, in my career. I've been a venture capitalist backing entrepreneurs. Um, and nobody should have to ask permission saying, can I please get on this wonderful new network called the Internet? It ought to be open to everybody. And that's essentially what our, what our rule says, that, that there, there needs to be those who are providing services need to be able to reach consumers. And those who are buying Internet access, consumers who are buying Internet access, ought to be able to reach those who are providing services. It's that simple. Um, well, so it's been about a year almost since mm -hmm. you adopted these rules, and it's challenges pending in court, mm -hmm. but there was all kinds of, on both sides, mm -hmm. uh, statements that either way, this was going to be the end of the internet as we knew it. Um, maybe the end of the world. Maybe. The, well, is there a difference? Uh, if I can't get to my uh, content, then what's, is it worth living? Uh, no, but seriously, so, so how do you think about what's happened in the year since then in, in the marketplace? I think it's been terrific. I mean, you know, it's interesting. I just looked up the other day. There have been a couple hundred million websites created since our rules went in place where people are going out and saying, hey, I want to do something. I want to put up a website. Let's try something. Um, you've had um, increased investment in delivering expanded capacity to consumers. You've got uh, broadband speeds to consumers that have been constantly uh, increasing. Um, and you've had, uh, you know, new concepts come along to take advantage of the Internet that, you know, nobody ever, you know, imagined. I mean, who would have thought of that Uber would be ruling the world like it is, or Airbnb, or, or WhatsApp, or any of these things. You know, I saw today WhatsApp now has a billion users with a B. Well, they need the pathway to do that. Um, 
But there are still these controversies that are coming up. So, sure. I mean, I'm, I'm curious your take on, on this. Is My view all along with the open Internet has been that, you know, there are these perspectives that it's either it's an on or off. Either it's regulated or it's not. Whereas I've always pushed back on people and saying, well, there are always going to be new technologies. And there are always going to be new business models and, and new things that companies try to do which pose challenges. So you know, along now comes T-Mobile with this uh, binge-on service, right. the so-called zero rating, right. which seems to fall in the cracks of some of the things in the rules. And, and I look at it and say, well, that's, that's fine. That, that's a reason you have a kind of cop on the beat that can think about this in an intelligent way. Is that, is that the right way to well, look at it? Well, I think cop on the beat, I, I, I like to call it, you know, I, you know, I went to Ohio State and I think in football terms, okay? I, so I like to think about it. It's funny, you've never mentioned that before. I know, you I went to Ohio State. State. It's I, such a surprise I, to hear that. A little uh, surprise. He, it, said, he didn't say the Ohio it, State it, University. Exactly. Well, you, but you got that right, Dan. I know. I know. The, I know. The, um, but I, I prefer to think of it as a referee on the field who can throw the flag. But I mean, let's, you know, to be serious here for a second, that, that what we came down with were a series of what we call bright line rules that you should not be able to block traffic. A carrier should not block traffic, should not throttle traffic, should not force people to have to pay to get on a fast lane where other folks then get stuck in the slow lane. And where they need to be transparent and saying, this is what you're getting for, for, for what you're buying. Um, and those are the bright line. But then there are these things, this is a, uh, let's go back to the point I made a minute ago about how the nature of regulation is changing and you can't micromanage the market because we have no idea what two guys and a dog in a garage are working on right now, but we want to make sure that they have free and open access to this great uh, communications capability. And, and so that means that we reserved the ability, what we call the general conduct rule, to be the guy in the striped shirt and to say, oh, that doesn't make any sense. Now, you, you talked about Binge On. Binge On has developed since then. Um, you know, it's a proposal. It's, it's something where T-Mobile is, is, T-Mobile is offering right now where they're, um, they, they are delivering a video service to their subscribers um, uh, at a different quality of video, different speed uh, than before. Um, and some people say this is the greatest thing since sliced bread, and other people say it's awful. Uh, when it first came out, I said I thought that it was innovative, I thought it was competitive, and that we would keep our eye on it. And, uh, and that's what we need to do. We need to be, you call it the cop on the beat, I call it the guy with the striped shirt. Okay. Um, how far along are we in getting broadband to everyone in the United States? Well, you know, we just put out a, a study last week that said that 90% of American consumers can uh, get access to broadband at at least 25 megabits download and 3 megabits up, um, which is better than Europe is doing, better than most every place in the world other than a few isolated, very small countries um, are doing. And, um, but, but the fact that 10% can't means that 34 million people, that's a lot of people. And we've got a responsibility to do something about that. Um, and, um, so we have programs at the FCC, um, where we provide support to those who want to build the unserved, because that's kind of step one. And then step two is 
how do you work with those who may have access to it but say, oh, I don't need it or I can't afford it or whatever that may be. And um, and we'll have uh, uh, we're gonna we're gonna redesign a program uh, in the next couple of months that was um, originally designed to make sure that everybody had phone service to make sure that everybody has broadband service. Is it a realistic goal to have truly universal broadband? Uh, I think it's a worthwhile goal. Okay. Is it a necessary goal? Well, you know, Dan, if if everything that you do from looking for a job to applying for your B- VA benefits, to registering your motor vehicle, yep. requires an internet, let alone the advantage that it offers. Here we're here at an educational institution. The opportunities that it offers for, uh, for, uh, for education. Um, uh, having access to the internet is a crucial uh, uh, component for everyday life now. And it's also an internet where more and more people are their own content providers and post stuff each and every day. And they also have to worry about the protection of their personal data, which is an issue I'm sure that's that's got to be right up there on, on your agenda as well. Boy, that's a great point, Dan. Um, that um, that uh, both both points. One, that, you know, it used to be that the only information that we got was that was delivered by the newspaper or the broadcast yep. stations. Now everybody has as much reach as the New York Times or ABC News. Um, but to your other point about information, we all leave digital footprints behind. And privacy is a, is a big issue. And privacy has always been an evolving issue. I was, I was you know, fascinated a few years ago to r- realize that, that, that the first real challenge to privacy and the question of what is privacy and the, the origination of the concept, the right to be forgotten, was about the box camera. Yep. Before the turn of the century when George Eastman invented the box camera and people were getting their picture taken without their permission. Yep. And and privacy has evolved over time since then. And, uh, and, and so I think that there are three components to good privacy policy. Uh, one is that the information that is collected has to be held securely. That, by golly, if people are collecting information on me, and they are, that, um, that, that they have to make sure bad guys can't get a hold of it. Secondly is it needs to be transparent. That I need to know what's being collected on me. Mm-hmm. And I need to know what use it's being put to. And thirdly, that knowing that I ought to have the choice of saying, okay, can you do that? No, you can't do that. And, um, and we'll be moving down the road um, with some, uh, some rules uh, in the next few months uh, that follow that kind of a, of a three-legged outline. Gentlemen, thank you very much for coming in. It's Kevin, always great to see you. Thank you very much for coming over. Mr. Wheeler, it's a pleasure. Dan, you thank you, sir. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.